Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And uh, today we are going to be talking about a Slate Star Codex post, as we sometimes do, because they're awesome. But before we do that, we're going to do our less wrong posts, because we do those at the top of the show now. Yes, we do. So, uh, <laughs> first one is guessing the teacher's password, right? No, fake explanations. Damn it. Although the two of them are so... Like, I almost feel like they should be one post because they're so reliant on each other. When I read fake explanations, I was like, isn't this guessing the teacher's password? But then I read guessing the teacher's password and I was like, oh, no, okay, it's just, it's the lead into it. Yeah, I think that on occasion, maybe he had, like, posts drafted and he's like, I don't feel like I'm going to have time tomorrow. I can split this into two. Yeah. It's one of the nice things about blogging. And it's also the nice thing about writing uh, serial fiction. I noticed, as talking about this with Brian, I don't know if it was on the air or not, so I don't mind repeating it. And I know we're already off topic, but um, <laughs> I do I another podcast called We Want More, which is like a We've Got Ward ripoff where Brian, my co-host Brian hasn't read the book and I have. So we're going through it section, you know, a couple chapters at a time. And uh, if you look at the release dates for chapters, there are s several where like he released three in one day and then, you know, five in a week oh you did mention and then, this then a couple months off mm -hmm. and then like a fucking year off and i wonder if he had just staggered his releases and say i'm gonna do two a week um or even one worked week. a little smoother yeah or just one a week i mean one a week we'd still be they'd still be coming out right no uh, there's there were only like 132 that's two years two and a half of uh yeah i guess you're right um in any case it maybe yeah maybe it might have even taken less time than it took but it still would have left some more buffer but i think probably the reason is that like his writing process is more of i'm doing this to jumpstart my writing not as a like projects to release a you know a story so well he also uh, apparently ran into a hard problem of how to advance to the next plot point that he wanted to do after azkaban and like pretty much the entire spew arc was him trying to get to a point where hermione would attack draco uh and have that be believable and then like as he was finishing up the spew arc he was like oh i can do the mr hatton cloak uh groundhog day attack and like fix that in a single scene and he did and it was wonderful and i'm not i'm not sad that he did the spew arc because i love the spew arc and i think it's a lot of fun but it's very incongruous with the rest of the the fic it doesn't quite fit you know it fits more yeah. with the earlier theme of the fic, where yeah. it was kind of slapstick. And but uh, the thing I liked about it was that it addressed the weird thing that a lot of fiction does now, where it's got like we're gonna pretend that like sexism and racism doesn't exist in this world, mm -hmm. but like you'll notice that like there's still more male teachers than female teachers at Hogwarts, and like. So Hermione notices this. That, well, she, at first, is trying to like bring on the full feminist uh, movement in the wizarding world. Yeah, and then they kind of are like protesting and start talking to some of the kids, and it's like, oh wait, like you mean actually people are pretty equal in the wizarding world? Yeah. Wait, like you Muggles discriminate against each other based on skin color? Yes. Skin color. <laughs> that was a cool scene. <laughs> it's. Yeah. Speaking of digression, like, oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, actually, I was going to do more digression, so you should do your digression because I did my digression. Well, I was because Stephen basically let us off with that digression. Uh, are you guys familiar with Time to Crate? 
No. Uh, time to what? Crate. Uh, like a crate, like a box? Yeah. No, I don't. I've it, never heard of this. It used to be a metric for first-person shooters after uh, Doom and Quake were big things and everybody and their brother was making their own first-person shooter. Uh, a, a popular uh, metric, this is kind of like the Bechdel test and that it was, you know, like basically a joke, uh, is that uh, you can tell how bad a first-person shooter is by how long it takes you to uh, get to your first crate because the crate is just a standard cube with a skin thrown on it. It is where the level designer has completely run out of ideas and motivation and is just being like, hey, I'm lazy. There's an object here in your way. It's a crate. And so Time to Crate was supposed to be, you know, sort of a proxy for how bad something is. And famously, there is a game with a negative Time to Crate because you see one in the intro cutscene before you even get to be uh, <laughs> control the character. But uh, I was just thinking we should start having a Time to Digression metric for our episodes. And this one will probably have the shortest mm. one yet. Yeah, I'll take full ownership of that. Is, is the crate like a loot, like a crate with like a, a new weapon in it, or something you have to break to get past, or what? Literally any crate at all, but usually they were just objects that you could like hide behind and move around and you know block line of sight, that kind of thing. It's just a square. It's just like, a yeah, square. Can, well, a cube. It's the I easiest thing to make a... in a 3D model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I can see that being a joke as a thing, because like especially in first-person shooters, those serve a lot of purpose. And if you're like, here's how, the, here's how the cover system works. Like, that, that should happen in the tutorial. Yes, but you're also supposed to, you know, put some effort into things. So instead of just, like, dropping a crate into a in front of a player, make it something atmospheric in your level, you know? Okay, I was mainly rationalizing because I felt like the crates that are in the opening chamber of Breath of the Wild were aptly placed and it didn't bring the game down. But because they're <laughs> atmospheric... They were dusty and they were old. It fits perfectly, so my my game is preserved. All right. Breath of the Wild so, had a lot of good crates, actually. It did. They but textured those... squares really well. I mean, then they real just good, real good squares. Then they just completely jumped the shark with Minecraft, where literally everything is a cube. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what the time to create would be for Minecraft. <laughs> don't you have one. to create your own crate though? Like that has to be an actual crate crate. Hmm. I don't know. I have not actually played Minecraft. I played it for about five minutes, and I was like, yeah, this isn't the game for me. Uh, mm. I played a few... I put several, maybe several hours or some small tens of hours into it. I had a good time with it. Uh, never got full-fledged. But let's uh, reduce the time to get to fake explanations. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, let, let's, let's jump right in here. Once upon a time, there was an instructor who taught physics students. One day, the instructor called them into the classroom, showed them a wide square plate of metal next to a hot radiator. The students each put their hands on a plate and found the side next to the radiator to be cool. The distant side was warm. And the instructor said, why do you think that happens? Uh, some students guessed convection of air currents. Others guessed strange metals in the plate. They devised many creative explanations. None stooping so low as to say, I don't know, or this seems impossible. And I the answer was, uh, maybe, what were you going to say, Anish? Oh, well, go ahead and give the, the answer spoiler. And the answer was, before the students entered the room, the instructor turned the plate around. Yeah, and this is this is kind of, like, famous in rationalist circles now. First of all, because it's sort of, like, a great gotcha, right? But um, I, I, I feel... Kind of. Uh, go on, but... Well, I feel like it's a little unfair that that um, he says, none stoops so low as to say, I don't know, or this seems impossible. Because, 
like that might be something you would say in in a more normal setting but like when the teacher has presented you with this challenge you assume first of all that there is an answer uh and that that is an answer you can deduce because the teacher has given you this challenge right it's like here is an exercise yeah. for the student please figure it out so they were like guessing and trying to well he, that's the thing they were guessing as opposed to trying to figure it out which is why this is so closely linked to guessing the teacher's password which is the next post but uh but so like i felt like it was a little unfair but it really he makes a damn good point about uh about how much guessing there was being done and how schools are being you know what i'm gonna stop right there before before i spoil the next one go ahead steven <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that if, uh, like, to to be pedantic, you know, the the teacher in the real world could be could be nature, and in the in this particular case, there was an answer, and they could have guessed it. Um, they could have said, "Okay, I feel like I was asked the wrong question." Now, granted, that's not how things work in school. They usually ask you questions with straightforward answers based on what you've learned. Uh, I don't know if this actually this might be like is this an apocryphal story or does it have a citation I don't, it doesn't actually matter but it was once like, upon a time dude so once once upon a time <laughs> um like it so it could be uh the sort of thing i i, I try to think of a of an example like that that could have come up in any formal education i had since i didn't take high level physics courses um it's it seems like a good way to get like to train the student to say yes sometimes things are confusing and it is okay to say i don't know yeah right yeah i, I, I think, think that's the exact point that elias is trying to make is that like uh, i was actually going to basically say what both of you had said uh Inuyash, you were talking about how you don't think it's fair to the student and i agree because you are not like that, that's not the way schools work you're right. not actually being asked to think. You're being asked to, like, memorize stuff for the test. Uh, not always, but just, like, there's so much, uh, what is the word, accountability, I guess, that teachers are held to that they don't have a lot of time to develop good curricula and they spend all their time, you know, attending meetings, grading tests, and then, like, having to be evaluated forever. And, like, teaching... It, like they're evaluated on like passing scores of their students to tests that they didn't get to write more often than not, right? So uh, the state so. or the district writes these tests and it's like, okay, well, I feel like this is the worst way and worst order in which to teach uh, college algebra, but that's the way I was told to do it. So good luck, kids. I got to say that's the, sorry, what? Oh, I got to say that this is a, this mythical teacher is a darn good teacher though, because he is probably for the first time in these students' lives, exposing them to the idea that like, hey, you shouldn't just be trying to figure out the correct answer for the test. Maybe you should actually think about things like your teacher's a dick and flipped it before you came in here. <laughs> yeah. or, or your teacher's trying to make you think, which might be a dick move. Some of my teachers were trying to make me think. It was, uh, I had some pretty decent teachers. Not all of them, but a few. Yeah, I had a real mix of good and bad ones. Um... So Eliezer says uh, that... Uh, to consider the answer the student gave of maybe because of heat conduction. He says, I ask, is this answer a proper belief? Do the words actually control anticipation? If if you say heat conduction, what experience does that lead you to anticipate? Under normal <laughs> circumstances, it leads you to anticipate that if you put your hand on the side of the plate near the radiator, 
that side will feel warmer than the opposite side. So he points out that uh, that you, uh, in terms of that phrase, you should uh, ponder the little innocent phrase because of, which comes before heat conduction. Ponder some of the other things we could put after it. We could say, for example, because of phlogiston or because of magic. Because of heat conduction is used in such fashion, it's like saying magic. It feels like an explanation, but it's not. Hence, fake explanations. Yeah. And I like that a lot. I think it's a really succinct and awesome and super memorable lesson. Like, I've never forgotten this parable since the first time I read it. Yeah. I've not only not never forgotten it, but I catch myself doing this and I try to stop and be aware of the fact that, like, it's like, wait a minute, uh, I actually don't assign very high confidence to that thing I just said. Uh, do I actually know this or did I just hear this somewhere and, like, it's just kind of been accepted because I heard it from maybe an authority figure or in, it was a, maybe it was a scientific journal, but maybe it was a shitty one. Um, you know? Yeah. Yep. I, I have a similar thing like that with my autobi- autobiographical memory. And so like when I think I remember something, I like will immediately be like, you know what? I don't know how strongly I remember that. And even if I did remember it strongly, it doesn't mean it really happened. And I think because of that, uh, accidentally like ingrained thought pattern a lot of my actual memories get thrown into the junk bucket in my brain and yeah. thus my, autobi- my autobiographical memory is terrible eh I doubt I'm missing anything important <laughs> the less I'm sure if it was important I'd remember it the less tied you are to your specific memories the, the less you need them to be intact when you're unfrozen right and also I said that last one with a, with a nod and a wink but no one could hear that so <laughs> yeah, we need to like start being like I don't know <laughs> describing our facial expressions and stuff. Wink wink uh, nudge, nudge joke. Exactly. <laughs> Raised eyebrow. <laughs> Magic okay. he cry. That's not a scientific explanation. <laughs> Indeed, the phrases because of heat conduction and because of magic are readily recognized as belonging to different literary genres. Heat conduction is something that Spock might say on Star Trek. Whereas magic would be said by Giles and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. However, as Bayesians, we take no notice of literary genres. <laughs> it's really funny because I think a lot of methods of rationality was Harry kind of pattern matching everything to fantasy novels that he had read. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the... Explicitly in a lot of cases. Yeah, well, I mean, the arc that we just started, the Azkaban arc, he explicitly thinks of it in the beginning as like, okay, I am finally getting my intro quest from my wise mentor, and soon I will be, <laughs> you know, harrowed and have this experience, but it will make me stronger for the future, and I can finally step into my destiny. Yeah, he literally thinks of it in terms of, like, leveling up. Yeah. And, yeah. and completing this narrative arc that all heroes have to complete. I think I remember a scene where he received something and he's like aha my first quest item (laughs) oh god i remember when when uh, dumbledore gave him the father's rock and he tried to leave and the door was locked and dumbledore was like you didn't take your father's rock he's like oh yeah of course you can't leave the area without taking the quest item (laughs) yeah that that was line i was going to mention is that oh yeah it'd be foolish me to think the door would open before before i put the quest items in my inventory I feel like the bag of holding was a great little literary trick to like let him, you know, play into that perfect fantasy of his where it's like, yep, this is my inventory, everything in this bag and my pockets. Absolutely. I want one so bad. Yeah. I just want Hammer Space to be real. 
Hammer Space? <laughs> it's a TV tropes thing. You know, okay. like what in is... cartoons where a character will pull a very large hammer out of their pocket. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> it's okay. It's just nonsensically big. Yeah. Did you see Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, I was actually just thinking of that scene. Yeah. Uh, Inyash, have you seen it? Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, I was going to say, if you haven't, it's a treat. At the end, John Mulaney, the pig, gives him his hammer. Oh, that was John Mulaney? Leaving. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, here, take this hammer. And it's like huge. It's like, it can fit in your pocket. <laughs> and he said it while crying because like they were all leaving. <laughs> it was perfect. All right. On to guessing the teacher's password. Uh, yes. Yeah. Trying to see if there's anything else that we missed. I guess the one thing from the very end that I, uh, I would like to point out before we go is that he says the deeper error of the students is not simply that they failed to constrain their anticipation. The deeper error is that they thought they were doing physics, even though they were simply just moving their magic from one literary genre to another. Mm. Love it. Yeah. The thing and that... See... Uh... Oh, go ahead, Steven. Uh, I was going to say really quick, I can see how this post flows into the next one. I think that, that might have been actually how this worked in, in reality rather than my initial guess of like just like kind of separating them into two. I think often, like, he'll make a couple of points in a post, and then there'll be discussion, and he's like, okay, yeah, I can further elaborate on this point. And that's what this next this next one is. But what were you going to say, Jace? I was going to say... Oh, did I, did I just forget it? Hang on. Oh, no. That's on me. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, I think at least you could, you could imagine that this somewhat corrects itself later on when you say, like, graduate from physics school and start working in a physics lab and now you have to care about what reality is or isn't doing yeah but like almost every student in high school went through a physics class where they had to repeat these words and a minuscule fraction of them will actually go to a physics lab so most people learned yeah. the wrong lesson what, what's the wrong lesson that they could learn the wrong lesson is that the thing that you do is not try to constrain anticipation. The thing you do is try to guess the teacher's password. Oh, sure. But I think even for the non-physicists to come out of this lesson, they're going to say, oh, yeah, sometimes I'll be confronted with a problem that I was trying to answer incorrectly. Oh, you mean this specific lesson? Yeah, I'm sure, I think everyone would get the right lesson from this one. But I mean, from physics classes in general that do not have this specific trickery in them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's unfortunately school in a nutshell. For most people, so, yeah. my physics class yeah. was amazing because my physics teacher like really cared about physics. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't mean to generalize over much, but I, if it wasn't physics, it might have been biology. It might have been one chemistry teacher you had or something. Right. But I think it's it's even just math where like it's not supposed to be password guessing, but often you're just like trying different things. Like I remember that on on multiple choice math questions where it'd be okay, let me try this this function. I remember them showing us at some point. Yeah. Okay, the answer I got isn't any one of these four. Let me try this other one because I just didn't understand what I was doing. Yeah, they, ta but... they teach math terribly. They have you just, uh, like, the thing that always bugs me is that when students, like, I hear this story from <laughs> so many people, when a student has figured out a way to solve a problem that's not the official algorithm, then they will get yelled at and told to do it the correct way. <laughs> We're learning this one, and I'm just... Yeah. It's like they don't yeah. actually want kids to understand how math works. Yeah, that stupid, like, multiplying thing where, like, they're drawing lines between the numbers or something, I've seen... Uh, Are you talking about right Common Core? I... Must be. I think so. Yeah, that rings a bell. That would drive me insane. 
that would not I help had, me multiply in my head. I had to, uh, I was helping kids with homework when I worked at the library. Uh, there's a school across the street and kids would all come over. And I had to use YouTube videos to teach myself how to do the Common Core version that they were expected to do. And actually, um, I think that it makes sense as an introductory uh, long, what was it, like long multiplication? Yeah, it's just a different algorithm to get the same answers. Yeah, my problem is that if they make you do it that way, and if you just do it another way, they're like, no, sorry, you didn't, do, you didn't draw the lines and fill in the little, you know, partial numbers above the lines. I feel like if you get the right answer, that should be the right answer, and they shouldn't care how you get there, which all the good teachers did. I don't know if they're allowed to do that now or how that works, but luckily I'm not in school, so. Yeah. Those poor fuckers. Let's go to guessing the teacher's password. Okay. Yeah. So th this one's a lot of fun. Um, I don't have to take charge on it. I'll just say that this is another one that I never forgot, and I think that uh, it's... I, oh, I... Yeah, dive into it, Inyash. Okay. Uh, it starts off with EY relating how he thought that he knew what light was at nine years old because he read up on it, and he read that light is made of waves. Uh, and then later on, when he actually uh, did a lot more reading on physics and contemplating and realizing how light worked, he realized that when he was nine, he didn't know shit. He just knew the <laughs> phrase, light is made of waves, and believed that. And he says that there's this instinctive tendency to think that if a physicist says light is made of waves... And the teacher says, what is light made of? And the student says waves, then the student has made a true statement. Uh, but he says that uh, the, this is just a sequence of syllables. The sequence of syllables made of waves or because of heat conduction, it's, it's not a hypothesis. It's just a pattern of vibrations traveling through the air. And in school, a teacher hands you a gold star or an A or whatever for saying made of waves which must be the correct answer because the teacher heard a physicist emit the same sound vibrations. And since verbal behavior is what gets the gold star, students think that verbal behavior has a truth value. After all, either light is made of waves or it isn't, right? <laughs> and then he says, you know, ties it right back into the last password, or into the last post. If a teacher asks you why the far side of a metal plate feels warmer than the side near the radiator, if you say, I don't know, you have no chance of getting a gold star. You don't even get credit for class participation if you say, I don't know. So all the incentives are aligned for you to make some sort of guess, no matter how bad that guess is. And if you've heard phrases that the teacher have said in that uh, semester that are like, because of heat convection or because of heat conduction, then maybe one of those is what the teacher wants. So you say, yeah, maybe because of heat conduction? But that's not a hypothesis about the metal plate. It's not even a proper belief. It's just an attempt to guess the teacher's password. Yeah. So I remember being Mic in drop. classes where, uh, where the students were actually encouraged to make as many random guesses, like, as, I don't know, as like class participation and yeah. like, there's no wrong answers or like, I don't know, but like, just shouting whatever random thing you can think of <laughs> is, yeah, very much an example of this thing. Yeah, and that's and it's yeah. not even it's not even like trying to generate a bunch of hypotheses. No, like that's really what you should be doing. You should be maybe actually yeah, like guessing a bunch of random things, but then maybe you make like a word cloud 
and right. start making correlations or start testing some of the things. But he said, like, if you actually believed that, you know, because of heat diffusion, maybe you would start measuring a few different points with a the thermometer at a few different times and trying to predict what it would say on the next measurement, you know, because then that's something connected to an experience rather than just a verbal behavior. I remember, and it's really, I, I, it's hard to say, like, at least for me to briefly articulate what the difference is between like knowing something and knowing the password. But I remember when I was reading the Feynman lectures, there was a part where, and like I'd known all these bits before, but he brought it home with one perfect example about how, you know, like, uh, how do I put this succinctly without taking three minutes? Um, like you, you've got a, a vessel of, of hot liquid and why is it hot? Cause all the atoms are in there are moving on average pretty fast. And why does it get colder? Cause the fast ones escape uh, and they occasionally slow down inside, but the really fast ones uh, get escape velocity from the surface. And that's why like a flatter, wider vessel will cool faster than a, than a small, narrow one. Um, and uh, the, uh, so like as the fast ones escape, the average velocity of all the molecules in the vessel goes down. So the temperature goes down. And this is why a, a spoonful of soup gets cooler when you blow on it. And I'm just like, that's perfect. <laughs> I, like, I, like I already knew that, you know, I could blow on a spoonful of soup and it would cool down. And I knew all the other parts involved, but tying, I think that was one of Feynman's just tr true gifts that uh, he could, he could illustrate things in a way that sound kind of, and granted, a lot of his stuff is sort of like esoteric by, you know, everyone's day-to-day -day standards, but tie it down to something as mundane as like, you know how you like blow on soup, right? Well, here's what's going on. I thought that was just outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. were asking, uh, or you were saying that you didn't really understand the difference between knowing a thing and then knowing the password. I think I said I couldn't. I couldn't or, quickly articulate it. Yeah, I think I would quickly articulate it as um, a difference in having good or bad thinking habits. There's this automatic reaction uh, that's kind of working on muscle memory or instinct, but actually taking the time to have epistemic humility and, first of all, admit that you don't know to yourself or to other people, and then try to figure out what to do from there. I think that's also an uncomfortable step for a lot of people to take. Yeah. People seem to I be more definitely... just making up a... Like, I, I, have you ever seen this uh, kind of interaction between people where they see something weird? I don't know, like, they see a bug doing something weird, and they're like, oh man, what's that bug doing? And people will just be like, oh, maybe it's doing that thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like... I, I nobody think, like pulls their phone out to google it or something yeah i think a lot of the i i know west specifically in the discord has a problem with evo psych and i think a lot of it is because evo psych is more about guessing um passwords than actually trying to create uh explanations yeah, yeah it's just um his issue is that it's largely non-testable which uh i think he takes his uh I, I think he takes too much issue with it there yeah I think some of it there's is obviously correct, but... Uh... Yeah. There's inferences you can draw from comparing our behaviors to other animals, to looking at uh, hunter-gatherers that are still living that way in modern day. But I do think he has a point that it is uh, sometimes overused, especially in pop culture. It, it very much is. Uh, and a lot of it is... Well, like, some of it is the... Uh, social psychologists but some of it's and yeah maybe more of it is like 
psychology today or you know like whatever pop science outlet is interpreting whatever study just came out yeah yeah i mean i think i think all pop science is is guilty of being abusable and like misinterpreted by the masses right uh well they they actually actively will change the meaning of something in order to make it more clickable i remember distinctly uh there was this article that was published in some journal i don't remember but uh whatever site whatever like uh wired or whatever had eh, i shouldn't just wired actually like wired <laughs> whatever whatever bad psychology uh publication had ended up writing an article about it for the masses had titled it uh what was it uh oh it was autism or autistic children are shown to have more masculine faces than average uh lending some credibility to the belief that autism means ex- like an extreme male brain mm. and i was like that doesn't seem right and then i read the article and the article said that actually the children had more androgynous faces huh. <laughs> like and it didn't I, I don't think it mentioned anything about the extreme male brain theory it was yeah, just like it was literally other... like yeah they're trying to find something yeah. sensationalist and controversial yeah yeah, I just saw one on, I mean, this is a bit of an aside, but since I don't follow any of that stuff, because mainly, like, those resources, they always, you know, I, I, I read once a month, uh, or I, I hear secondhand once a month, and then I'm shown an article about how we're going to be destroyed by a meteorite or something, and it's like, oh, no, it's passing within, you know, a thousand kilometers of us, we'll be fine. Like, I remember at some point, someone last year asked me, like, hey, is this, is there, like, are we going to get hit by a meteorite next year? Have you, has this crossed your radar yet? And I was like, no, and I'm pretty sure if, like, it was going to happen, I would have heard about it. Um, right. So I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, even feel the need to look into it. I did remember that at some point Stephen Colbert had on Neil deGrasse Tyson and asked him about it and he shut it down. But, um, what was I going to say? It was like, uh, vapors, people who use, uh, nicotine or who vape to get nicotine have like the same cardiovascular issues or can have the same cardiovascular issues as people who smoke. And then the sample size consisted 100% of people who used to smoke. (laughs) There's so much uh data manipulation going on in vaping studies and i i think i hmm, i think some of it is the uh, tobacco companies trying to uh badmouth vaping because they're taking their business away and then oh. a lot of it is just people that want to demonize uh whatever is the, like the popular thing yeah this i remember is- is that, uh, is that what it is? Just people hating things being popular? It's, it, this is a trend that I see all the time. Uh, remember, like, people are eating Tide Pods, and then suddenly mm-hmm. it was like, all teenagers are now eating Tide Pods, and here's why you shouldn't. And I um, was looking for... Now it's just the president. Oh, here's a... Here's a <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. Um, I was looking for engagement rings, because Phoenix and I might do that. Uh, and... I came across a photo of someone who had uh, these transdermal implants of like three diamonds in their finger. And it was, I I suddenly remembered this article. It came out like a few years ago, but it was like, millennials are ditching the traditional wedding ring in favor of implantable, like piercing. It was like one person had done this. Mm -hmm. Somebody had seen the photos of it. 
and just made the next logical leap, which is like this entire generation is going to stop buying wedding rings and get transdermal implants instead, which <laughs> I think I saw it on Tumblr originally, which was uh, they had just kind of taken a, whoever posted it had taken a screenshot of mainly centered on the title and you could see some of the article and they just wrote in all caps, no, they're fucking not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, millennials are killing the diamond industry. And just, I work at a grocery store. Good, kill like the, the diamond reply, industry. Right? Mm, yeah. Fuck the diamond industry. Yeah, we didn't do diamonds for ours. Like, you can make a perfect diamond uh, so cheaply. Yeah, we. that's that's mainly why I wasn't into it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, diamonds aside, we can wrap up the, the password guessing, which is... Um, I think, yeah, he, he relates back to the school system and he says, in the school system, it's all about verbal behavior, whether written on paper or spoken, spoken aloud. Verbal behavior gets you a gold star or a failing grade. Part of unlearning this bad habit is becoming consciously aware of the difference between an explanation and a password. It happened to me when I was nine years old, not because I was stupid, but because this is what happens by default. This is how hum- human beings think unless they are trained not to, th- not to fall into this trap. Humanity stayed stuck in holes like this for thousands of years. And I, I think this is another good time to reiterate like how useful it is to read up on the history of science. I think part of the, part of the reason that science seems so like boring and opaque and just mundane to people is that, um, you know, people look at whatever interesting thing, like I can flip a switch on my wall and the light comes on on the ceiling and I have a vague ish idea of why that happens. But like most people aren't, aren't inclined to like take it as like, holy shit, you can just, you know, create light like that it's not a miracle to them because they assume that the explanation is mundane because they know it's understood. But like, there's such a difference between, uh, well, I I guess to put it in historical context, like basically everything we know is not stuff that was like always understood. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, essentially everything we know. Um, And so there's just this, this tendency to like, especially when learning chemistry, you know, you start with like the Bohr model or something, right? And it's like, okay, yeah, this is 200 years old. For the rest of human history, we had no idea what the fuck was going on. Yeah. But we're going to start with the thing 200 years ago because it's where, where we start chemistry. Well, not, and, it's not just that we didn't know what was going on. It's that we thought we did know because we had a password that was, you know, fulfilling someone's requirements. It. Yeah, exactly. Or not necessarily always God, but yeah, something like that. Like, this, this is the case because of this belief that we have, but... It feels like you know something and you have an explanation, but you really don't because you can't use that to constrain what you believe in any way. And uh, so for thousands of years, you think you have an explanation and you don't look deeper. Yeah. If you're wondering why lightning destroyed your neighbor's house, Thor did it isn't an explanation. <laughs> like, because then you won't be able to predict whose house is going to get struck next. And maybe it's the guy that was pissing on Thor. It, so, I mean, you know, that's one way you could test it. You could you see if the person was a blasphemer and so was the next five. Or you could see, oh, that person had on a very decorative, uh, you know, aluminum or metal pipe sticking out of their house. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, or they had a very, very large tree that was the tallest tree in the neighborhood, like, that was actually sitting too close to the house and some metal shutters. Yeah. To to be a little specific. Oh, is that what happened no, to yeah, your totally. house? That's my working hypothesis. Okay. Have you ruled out the possibility that Thor just hates you? Um, I actually am more convinced <laughs> that Thor. I'm more convinced <laughs> that Thor was trying to help because <laughs> that actually worked out pretty well for me. Uh, I was trying to sell this house. It wasn't that the market was terrible. 
I wanted to get out. <laughs> so I got insurance money, which I ended up being like more than I would have gotten for trying to sell the house. I got out quickly. <laughs> All worked well, out. Pra- praise be to Thor. Yeah. <laughs> well, our next two episodes or our next two less wrong posts will be science as attire and fake causality. Awesome. Yeah. Those are also both really good memorable posts. What is the sequence these are all a part of? Uh, I don't know. Probably... There was like no sequence breakdowns back in the day. There was just, you know, a sequence of posts that were put out every day. I feel like this is probably map and territory, which... That makes sense. Like if I, yeah, and to me, true. I think those are the ones... Yeah, a lot of those just stuck out really well for me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember both these next ones as well. And I, I can also, like, recall times where I'm like, oh, my God, that's what's happening right here in my life. <laughs> anyway, so, but we're not talking about those right now. We're talking about those next time. To, right now, we're going to talk about a post on Slate Star Codex called Socratic Grilling, which, hey, kind of ties into all this stuff about password guessing and all that fun business. Not only does it tie into it, he literally links to the guessing the teacher's password post from here. So uh, that was kind of cool. But it starts out with a fun dialogue between a teacher and a student that can be done as an audio drama. Oh, I'll be the student. Excellent. Uh, In that case, is it okay if I'm the teacher? You want to be the teacher, Stephen? No, I'll be the other student who's not talking. Do your Professor (laughs) Quirrell voice. Oh, really? Do it. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Hold on a second. Mr. Potter. Okay, there we go. I I was saying Mr. (laughs) Potter to get in the mood. (laughs) Mr. Potter, many diseases like the common cold are spread by germs when one infected person contacts another. But I got a cold a few weeks ago, and I never touched anyone except my family members, and none of them were sick. You don't need to actually touch someone. Sometimes it can spread through mucus droplets in the air. And one time I was camping in the woods for a month, and then I got a cold, even though I hadn't been around anybody. If it was spring, you might have gotten allergies. Allergies can feel a lot like a cold, but they aren't spread by germs. It was fall? Then maybe it was an unusual allergy, or some other condition. Hey, wait. If germs are spread from person to person on touch, then why doesn't the government just mandate one week when nobody's allowed to touch anybody else? Then all the germs will die, and we'll never have to worry about germs again. That's a good question. A lot of germs have what's called reservoirs in the environment, where they live when they're not infecting humans. Even if the government tried your plan, probably most sicknesses would come back from their reservoirs. I've never seen a germ reservoir. Where are they? They're not literal reservoirs like a water reservoir. That's just what we call it when germs live in bats or raccoons or something. That was kind of weird. I haven't been crow in a long time. <laughs> that was That amazing. was wonderful to listen to, though. <laughs> I just want to, like, make your quirrell voice into, like, a text-to-speech. Uh, <laughs> and have Professor Quirrell read me, like, fan fiction or something. <laughs> that would be awesome. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. notice a few things about this conversation. Uh, first, it's really good that it happened. Yeah. Yeah, the, the student was <laughs> confused at many points and, and uh, noticed that they were confused and it, like, raised that confusion immediately, which is a great habit to be in. And the teacher, like, took the student seriously and answered him and addressed all his concerns. Yeah, I liked the, actually, uh, 
Scott said, surprisingly, teachers actually do a pretty good job of this in real life, uh, which maybe just means he had better teachers than me. But I, I did have I had some very good teachers. I had some that would take it the exact opposite way and yeah. some, that would t- some that would indulge me to the point where they'd say, I want to keep talking about this. Let's let, come back after class or after school if you want and we can keep going. Uh, the bad teachers would shut you down and say you couldn't talk for the rest of the week because Ugh. they thought you were trying to make them look stupid. So. Oh, what a bunch of assholes. Well, that's, yeah, that, that's the, um, well, we're getting a bit ahead, but that's kind of the point of the article. Yeah. Uh, I think I think this is the main reason why a lot of people advocate for smaller class sizes because you you can't have too many students if you're going around and like actually making sure each one really understands what you're saying and letting them grill you until it clarifies the thing in their head, right? Like if you had to do this with 30 students one after the other, I mean there'd definitely be there'd probably be a lot of overlap where one quote, one person asking would help clarify it for a bunch of people, but it just it it could be a bit much if you have like 100 students might take forever so Um, i i I think that's you know in an ideal world you would have like one mentor and one student right and they would take responsibility for that student and and just keep going with them and help them get everything until they actually understood it you know i think it was a the book i recommended a couple episodes ago to david and goliath uh which was by malcolm gladwell where they did a they looked at the question of whether smaller class sizes are better than larger class sizes. And, um, like the, the answer is kind of, it depends, but not always. Okay. Uh, I'm going to recommend that book again. Nice. So I'm going to write it down in the notes. Yeah. I mean, so like the, the exchange here goes about as pleasantly as possible for, uh, the student who's asking questions and, like I alluded to, I had teachers in elementary school that were the exact opposite of this, and they took it as like a hostile, like you're trying to make me look dumb, then shut the fuck up. I have the power here, yeah. and th- this the is actually great. Teachers. Right, um, <laughs> th- so, but this is great. So they they are able to say, hold on, I've got like this. If what you're saying is true, then I've got like this really obvious way that I could, we can end all illness forever, and like that's actually a good question. And so, and the teacher says that's a good question. Um, <laughs> so it's great. I love that. Uh, yeah. there's the, um, I, 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 I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I was going to bring an example in from another, uh, thing. So we'll just keep running with the post. Um, go ahead. Okay. So the second thing that he says about this is that to a hostile observer, it would sound like the student was challenging the teacher, the, the Snape interpretation, basically. Every time the teacher tried to explain the germ theory, the student pounced on a supposed inconsistency with pounced in quotes. When the teacher tried to explain the consistency, the student challenged her explanations. And yeah, and uh, I was going to say that in the first part, I forgot to mention this where you plugged guessing the teacher's password, that the kid's doing the opposite of that. Yeah. They're not writing down a note that says, um, you know, okay, diseases caused by germs, right? Yeah, they're trying to actually understand. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I love the line... And the thesis of this post is you must never, ever say that. Saying yes. that is so bad. Smack the, down the, that, that student once, say, I think I know more about germ theory than you do. Make him feel like he challenged your authority and that's bad. And the best case scenario is he'll never ask questions to resolve his confusion again. The worst case scenario is he stops feeling the confusion entirely or stops 
thinking of forcing things to fit together and make sense as a desirable goal to have. Yeah. The that's, VAT. that's how you get teachers' passwords. Exactly. The VAT to never ever say is the uh, that the student is being a brat and challenging the teacher, right? Yeah. I, um, I think that's one of the reasons I really love uh, Methods of Rationality and Harry in that, because he is always trying to find the answers. And I think that's one of the reason people, some people hate Methods of Rationality, because they're like, Harry's just being a brat who thinks he knows everything. And yes, yeah, sometimes he is, but it's that's not like his intention. He isn't there to undermine people. He's just trying to find the truth. I think a lot of... I read somewhere uh, that a lot of parents, in particular, disliked the Harry character. And... Uh, that was my observation. Okay, that was you. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to remember if that was uh, on this podcast, actually, before I was on it. Um, yeah, it's very much the idea of children need to be subordinate to adults, uh, kind of taking precedence over like caring about this child. <laughs> knowing yeah. things uh being curious it, it um like it, if you see that that exchange that we acted out which was very fun <laughs> uh now now you're learning a bunch of things you probably might or you might not have learned in the lecture if the student had or inter had not interrupted yeah i think that uh in cases like that th this is called socratic grilling because this, this is supposedly uh how socrates taught his students would have to kind of figure out their own shit. <laughs> he would kind of guide them along occasionally, but like he wouldn't give them answers. He would be like, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah. A lot of the times in the Socratic dialogues, he would have a point, but he would never actually say his point. He would just keep asking questions that, as his interlocutor answered them, would bring them closer and closer to the point that he was making. And then they find out the truth in a way that is going to, first of all, make them feel good about the fact that they figured it out. Secondly, they're going to remember it. It's going to be a lot more important. And third, now they have a more solid model because they've explored the edges of it and they didn't just get a single word answer. I mean, sometimes. Lots of times they ended with, like, Socrates, you're a dick, and walking off. <laughs> yeah, Let, let's not forget that the, the character of Socrates was eventually killed because he was so <laughs> annoying. Yeah. So, um, it's it's one and the other thing that it didn't always lead to like a, a nice resolution of like great now we know it's more like great i knew that you didn't actually know <laughs> so i i've now proven that you don't know either or that you now you believe you don't know either because i've i've grilled you down enough to where you realize that you were holding on to nothing um it's it's interesting uh what was i going to say about um well i think that's why this is called socratic grilling rather than socratic questioning because with socratic grilling it's it's a bit more directed than questioning, but it's also like the kid is trying to find out the answer as opposed to just leading someone to the conclusion that they don't know stuff, right? Yeah, the article yeah. says um, you need to think of it as Socratic grilling, like Socratic questioning, but a bit harsher and more confrontational in order to get to the point more quickly. Cool. And he adds, uh, tolerating this is harder than it sounds. Most people can stay helpful for one or two iterations. But most people are bad at explaining things, so one or two iterations isn't always enough. I've had times where I need five or ten question-answer rounds with a teacher in order to understand what they're telling me. Yeah. This process sounds a lot like, the thing you just said is obviously wrong. No, that doesn't make any sense. You keep saying it over and over. No, that's irrelevant. You're bothering me. You keep saying an obviously wrong thing. Oh, that word means something totally different than what I thought it meant. Now your statement makes total sense. <laughs> uh, that that sounds that like half our discussions on the Discord. <laughs> Yeah, no, like this is often um, 
Um, this is often why people have conflicts. I think it's the people are having a, they think they're having a fight about one thing and it turns out that like they both have, they're both actually fighting about a different thing Yeah. or the thing that they like care about or are trying to optimize isn't the thing the other person thinks that is. Uh, it's so common. So I wanted to bring up a quick thing to backtrack just a little bit. Um, you said that you quoted him saying that the thesis of the post is you should never, ever say that to a student because the best case is he'll never ask questions again. And the worst case is that uh, he stops trying to force things to fit together and stops thinking of things making sense as a desirable goal. I was like, I think there's other, I mean, I guess there's a whole spectrum between best case and worst case, but I ran into this quite a few times, like in me personally, that not, not, it isn't always just giving up. Like sometimes there's flat out rebellion. There's like, oh yeah, well, maybe you don't know shit, sir. You're trying to uh, shut me down and I think it's because you don't know anything. And <laughs> I, I usually wouldn't say that like in class or anything, but I think this in is the sort of, well, yeah, maybe in my head, uh, but I think this is the sort of thing which will often motivate people to try to find answers on their own. But even more so, I think it will uh, often motivate people to simply distrust authority because they're like, <laughs> this person couldn't answer my questions and when i ask some they try to shut me down so i don't think they know what they're talking about and therefore i don't believe the earth is actually round and you know they 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 start not believing anything said by authority and wanting to verify everything themselves and can embrace things like you know sometimes it leads to good outcomes but sometimes it can lead to things like vaccine denial or flat eartherism i've definitely run across teachers who I was pretty convinced didn't actually understand the subject that they were teaching. Like they had been taught it in this way and then they were just repeating it. And it like, I guess it's handed all the way down from whoever actually is the expert on the thing and helped write the textbook. But I think in that case, if you ask a question that the teacher doesn't know, it's too embarrassing for like social uh, status reasons to yeah. say, Oh, actually, I don't know. That is a really hard thing to do. Like, it, I, yeah. I've had that situation come up a few times with like my little brothers when I was trying to teach them stuff and they asked me questions and I was like, oh shit, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, right? And it's really easy to say that to your little brother. You're like, I don't know. Let's find out together. But uh, <laughs> That's much <your> harder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or if you're trying to teach a, kid, a group of kids in a school and half of them don't respect you anyway, I, would be, I could see that being a much tougher thing to be like, you got me. I'm not yeah. sure. Let's get back to this next week. I had a couple of awesome teachers who, and it would be seldom where I would distract the conversation enough to where either A, they couldn't answer it, or B, they'd be allowed to go on that long because they do have to get through their lesson plan. But um, they would come back the next day, and I remember at least two or three different teachers in high school. I had such a good high school overall uh, teaching experience. I had one teacher come back with a lot of times they'd come back with answers like the next day because they went home and they were curious too because they actually liked the subjects they were teaching. Awesome. I had one come back with some printed paperwork and they're like, hey, I found that thing we were talking about the other day. Oh, cool. I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck yeah. Now we yeah. both get to know. I've and... had like, oh, you went down good. No, no, please. I was just going to say, I've had similar experiences and those are my favorite teachers. Like this person cares about knowledge and learning. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. Oh, I mean, and they want to know more about their subject too. This sort of thing. Like they, they realized that they, they had an exposed ignorance and they're like, oh, you know what? I should know that. And now I'm curious because I actually like this subject. Yeah. This sort of thing, this whole, you know, don't question me. You think you know everything is what directly, one of the things that led directly to my deconversion from religion. 
because I was like, well, I don't think you know if you can't answer me, and I'm not just going to take your word for it, and I'm going to go look some more for myself. And so, you know, the whole rebellion in that case was a very good thing. Uh, it isn't always necessarily, but, you know, I think it can have good effects as well, but I, in general, I completely agree that the, the you must never ever say this is a something that should be drilled into all teachers, and maybe they should be taught how to accept that sometimes they won't know things and they should not shut people down if they're asking. Yeah. I mean, there are many ways that the school system should be reformed. Yeah. So, this actually connected to uh, something kind of upsetting that happened to me recently. Oh, uh, Real quick before we go that, uh, can I say one final thing on the post? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Scott says uh, near the end that one of the most importantest rationalist skills is noticing your confusion, which was, you know, and he linked back to that po uh, less wrong post again. Uh, uh, but that depends on an even more important proto-skill of wanting things to make sense. And I agree that that is one of the things I most want to instill in all humans, the mm -hmm. desire for things to make sense. And that this sort of smacking people down when they're trying to make things make sense is horrible for society. And uh, I agree absolutely with this post. And this is one of the reasons we're boosting it. Because, yeah, that's that's a major issue. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I got one quick side note. Did anyone hear the cat meowing? I did. I hope. The, oh, good. I hope that that picked up for the audience. That was my my cat Zelda making a cameo. She doesn't usually come in and say hi when I'm in the office. I have a cat so too. That was, that was really cute. I don't um, know if you'll be able to hear her because I have it, but you can see her on the camera. Oh, mine does not let me pick her up. So uh, anyway, yeah, the, the thing about the, the insight about uh, like people not needing things to make sense. I think that actually is a bit of an insight. I, I, I it didn't like strike me as this, this, uh, you know, hammer blow to my brain, but it, it did articulate something because like, it's often so often, especially back when I was having more discussions about, I don't know, confusing subjects with people, and they'd be fine with bad answers. I'm like, how could you not want to know the truth? Mm -hmm. And they're just like, I just don't care. Um, that that sort of mindset is so alien to me that like it, it's it's like I can't even really model it. But th this is a nice, succinct way of explaining a how that might have come about. But b just it was just another reiteration of like, yeah, some people just don't have that built in as a thing to desire. And I'm like, okay, yeah. So that's the problem we should be solving. Not make them understand stuff. Make them want things to make sense. Then they'll want to understand stuff themselves. Yeah. So you had a uh, bad thing that happened in your life recently, Jace? Yeah, actually, this is even more relevant now that we had that little uh, outro. Uh, I was, I think last episode, talking about a Discord group that I'm a member of. That's some local Denver, like 20, 30 somethings, uh, with uh, a lot of like cool interests. And they were sharing, uh, like, for example, they, they, they were doing this uh, kind of special interest webcam thing where people would uh, make a presentation about something that they thought was cool or that they're an expert in that they wanted to teach to someone else. So it's just, it was a little bit shocking when. Uh, one of my rationalist friends, who I added to the Discord, uh, I think linked a post from Slate Star Codex in response to something that somebody was asking about. Uh-oh. 
yeah. And, I know uh, where this is going. Yeah, you, you, you know, because uh, you were, <laughs> it's really funny, the, before we were recording, Inuyash just texted, uh, man, like, do you guys know about, what, what did you say, like, do you know what sea lioning is? Mm-hmm. And, like, I was like, I got this, like, chill down my spine, because I was like, wait, <laughs> did you read my mind? <laughs> no, it's just that I've hated the sea lioning comic for a long time, and this immediately brought it to mind. Yeah, so, um... Uh, hang on. Pulling my thoughts back together. Time stamping. So, it turns out that a bunch of people in this group are part of the social justice movement. And they don't like Scott Alexander. He's a Nazi, don't you know? Yes. He's a Nazi, uh, he wants, like, eugenics, eugenics to be a thing, uh, he hates feminism, and I forget what else he was accused of, but, um, yeah, a bunch of people just kept dogpiling on the person who had posted the thing and going, oh, haven't you heard that, like, this, this bad thing? Uh, I don't know where they were going, they probably, like, some social justice receipts website, but they managed to find, like, the... They managed to find a post that Scott had actually titled or um, wrote as a caveat in the beginning. I think this is probably the most controversial post I've made. And, like, I, I really hope that this doesn't get taken out of context or something, sure <laughs> enough. Like, this person's like, oh, man, he said, like, this, uh, what, did he, what was it? Oh, uh, I know what it was. It was the the one where he was talking about Scott Aronson, who was mm. often confused for Scott Alexander due to their similar names. And it was it was the untitled, right? Yeah, the one about feminism is that untitled. Untitled was also about feminism. He's done more than one post on it, but I, I think untitled is the famous one. Okay. But, well, famous for being quote unquote controversial. Yeah. So, uh, I'll I, if listeners haven't like read untitled, I want to explain what it is after I describe this interaction. Uh, a person found this post, uh, pulled out a bunch of quotes out of context that said things about feminism being bad <laughs> and said, oh yeah, the, like this guy is the worst. He hates women. He, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think in particular, they, somebody else jumped in and said, oh yeah, I've like always hated that author. Uh, you know, he, he only hates feminism because some feminists were mean to him in college. And the person who had posted the original uh, article said, uh, I don't think he ever said that. Like, no, no, definitely. He said that. Well, where where did you see it? Oh, I don't know. But I definitely said it. Well, uh, could you provide any evidence of this? Because I maybe, like, read the whole post that you're linking from. So, like, the discussion was... The, the rationalist person was doing Socratic grilling. And I read back through... I, thankfully was not a part of this conversation. Uh, I got dragged in after the fact, after things had kind of cooled down and they closed the thread and everything. And the rationalist got kicked out of the group. Surprise. <laughs> uh, and yeah, um, I read through the conversation. The way I was reading the tone was very much like the same tone that the kid in this article was using. Like, uh, where did you hear that? Uh, like, how do you know that that's true? Um, are you, are you sure about that? Like, mm -hmm. 
because I have this other evidence that says this other thing. And people got very upset because they thought that he was being hostile and fighting with them by asking questions like, can you show me some evidence for that thing? Because that seems completely incorrect. I love that the rest you try to understand. Yeah, I love that the restless community has this norm of it, it is never bad to ask for sources. Like people may yeah. not give you sources, they may not have them on hand or may not have the time, but no one's ever going to get mad at you for asking for a source. Yeah, like uh, I love hanging out with rationalists because I've had the experience so many times of just somebody, I don't know, is talking about a thing. You ask like, oh, how does that work? Oh, I don't know, actually. And then both of you pull out your phones and look it up or you go ask another person at the right, you know, like who's the expert and whatever. And it becomes a discussion uh, normal people don't do that, and it's baffling to me. Uh, actually, <laughs> one of my earliest experiences with Phoenix was uh, we were driving around, probably going to Chipotle, and we're talking about livers for some reason. Uh, liver transplants okay. in particular. <laughs> and so livers can be cut up. Like, you don't have to... Uh, first of all, I was like, wait, liver transplant? You only have one liver. Like... Are they from cadavers? And Felix is like, no, I'm pretty sure that you can get them from. You can you can be a liver donor, like and. Yep. Livers and apparently fine. have Wolverine's mutant healing factor. Yeah. So we. You can also donate lobes of your liver. <laughs> because so yeah, they the, regenerate like Wolverine. Survive the... Yeah, if only so at that speed, cool. but basically. But uh. But then we were like, but then like, how does? I don't know, like how, how does certain medications poison your liver if it can grow back? so well and we start like we're just still driving to Chipotle but Phoenix was on their phone looking up these answers and then we were like having this whole discussion about it and I was just like awesome this is this is a very refreshing <laughs> conversation to be having like finally uh so back to the original um conflict I guess I'll call it or maybe I could use the less like charged word interaction that no, was definitely a conflict people were upset uh after the rationalist had had uh, posted the thing, a bunch of people got upset. The person who was moderating the the uh, channel, the, the Discord, I guess the server? Yeah, the server. Uh, private messaged him and, and said, you need to either apologize to the people that you harmed or, leave, or I'm going to have to ask you to leave this group. <laughs> <laughs> and the rationalist harmed. was like, nah. <laughs> left yeah it's like nope I, I, I've, I think... I've fallen prey to this particular actually like specifically he's like i've fallen prey to this particular trap before so like no thanks and i asked him about that after the fact and he said that actually he had been in a group that did this exact same sort of thing and after he came out and apologized uh it was like now like he was the lowest person on the totem pole so it was like everybody's still like oh that's the bad guy like and also i guess he like lowered himself in status by apologizing and therefore that they were like continuing to make him like prove that he was sorry about that thing he said that one time well now <laughs> everyone knows he might be a nazi yeah yeah uh, fuck all that i i think the the misappropriation of the word harm over the last like decade has driven me a little insane about it that was like gone well i'm just saying like you, you, didn't, you didn't harm anybody by asking questions it, it like it's not impossible to imagine that you could cause someone stress asking them questions if you're causing people stress by asking for sources then they're stupid people who should be stressed and they need to work out what's stressing them out about that but mm. and i realize that's a pretty pretty sweeping statement but 
what can I say? Like Russell's my Jimmy's. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I, the, the idea that like, oh no, this person, uh, said something offensive i've been harmed i don't know whatever reason that's one of my berserk buttons i feel harmed hearing people use the word harmed the wrong way um that was a joke uh so i i just needed to interject there but what was the um you said that this tied into well sea lining yes uh yeah so after the rationalist was kicked out of the group which I'm still going to call it kicked out because like, you know, being forced to like prostrate yourself and apologize for something that you, that that's totally bogus in my opinion. Uh, it's clearly just a social power play and that was just a trap. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it was bullshit. I mean, technically they elected to leave by not submitting beneath the authority that said you have to apologize for doing the right thing. But yeah. I mean, that, that's as much as being kicked out as set, you know, just getting a, a quick ban. Yeah, so I'll uh, I'll post a link to this comic. There's this comic somebody wrote called Sea Lioning where... Hmm. Ooh, ooh, can I describe it? Oh, yeah. Okay, because I personally kind of hate it. And it is, like, famous now in uh, a number of internet circles. But basically, it starts out with a racist saying, Man, I really hate people of this race. And uh, they're out in public, and a person of this race overhears, and he's like, Hey... Why do you hate people of my race? And she's like, I don't want to talk to you. It's like, come on, what, what, what's, what's the deal? And uh, basically, the, the, the comic is about how annoying it is when people who are discriminated against are, uh, want to know why you hate their, their people so much. And um, that's not how it is ever pitched when you see it online. Because when you see it online, people are like, oh, you're coming in here, and you're just like asking all of us to prove these things, and we don't have to prove anything to you. But like, when you look at it, it's about a racist being challenged on her casual public racism. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I think uh, off-air, Inesh and I had a uh, an articulation for myself of what sea lining is, and so like... There's the deliberate version where you can go... So you're right. That is different from how I ever see it used. Yeah. I usually see it used as uh, blaming somebody for saying, oh, you're sea lining, by by which they mean you're coming in here and asking uh, questions in bad faith to spark stupid conversations. Yeah. And so it could be used as a charge against somebody, like accurately or inaccurately, or it can be used... Uh, like, if you're going to say, I, this will be really funny, I'm going to go in and see line r slash conservative. Um, and it's and called... Like banned. A, it's called... Sec- what? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was going to say, it's called sea lining in specific because if anyone hasn't seen the comment yet, the racist is racist against sea lions. And they're like, I don't mind most sea mammals, but I could do without sea lions. And then the sea lion is like, pardon me, I couldn't help but over here. I would like to have a civil conversation about your statement. Would you mind showing me any evidence of any negative thing any sea lion has ever done to you? And the lady's like, go away. And she's like, there's no need to raise your voice. I'm right here. I'm just curious if you have any sources. And the lady's like, you're in my house. And now the next panel is like, several hours later, she's trying to go to bed. The sea lion is there in your bedroom. It's like, you made a statement in public for all to hear. Are you unable to defend the statements you make? Are you simply unwilling to have a reasoned discussion? And then it's the next morning at their breakfast table and sea lion is still there. And he's like, I have been unfailingly polite, and you two have done nothing but be rude. She's like, I'm trying to eat my breakfast. He says, very well, we shall resume in an hour. Which is admittedly a great punchline. 
<laughs> uh, and and you've done you've done a great job conveying the annoyance of the sea lion in your uh, rendition of their voice and like their that I thought that was hilarious. I immediately hated the sea lion, <laughs> even though that they're tactically in the right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they're they're asking a fair question, but they're being super annoying about it. The um, and uh, it's it's usually used by social justice types who you know say something about like man these Nazis suck, and then someone is like hey I just want the right to own guns as defended in the constitution why does that make me you know the equivalent of someone who murdered jews and they're like stop go away you stupid nazi we know that you're not really here to have a civil conversation you're just trying to troll us and degrade the community and all that and the nazi's like no no really i i just you know i i'm all for states rights i don't have anything against black people and they're like get lost we've had this conversation before we know where it's going and so you know in one sense some people are correct when uh, accusing people of bad faith for those questions because there are a lot of people who do that in bad faith. But more often than not, I've seen the term uh, sea lining in practice used just to not ever have to make any sort of defense of your assertions. Like uh, if someone asks, why do you think that Scott Alexander is a Nazi? And they're like, oh, what? You guys sea lining me now? Everyone knows Scott Alexander is a Nazi. Just read his blog. <laughs> just read my collection of out of context quotes yeah. from his blog. Uh, this was right around when I left Facebook forever. Somebody was, uh, they brought me in because I met them at a party and they were in an argument with somebody that they knew who was like a master's biology student or something. And she had, the person that was posting was like, oh, Richard Dawkins is this terrible misogynist pig or whatever, racist or something. I forget what it was. And my friend chimes in and she's like, hey, can you like, uh, like help back me up here? And I come in and I'm asking, like, so where does he say this? And she's like, oh, you know, it's complicated. You need, you know, I mean, I'm a master's in biology. You would need a, or maybe a doctorate or you need, you need a professional understanding. I'm like, I need a professional understanding to follow a link to a post or to a page source. <laughs> like, what the hell are you talking about? And it was just, uh, I guess, I'm not sure which of us in that situation is the sea lion. I guess me, because I'm asking for sources. Yeah. But I was doing it in a good natured way. <laughs> like, I mean, I was I was shutting down who I thought was an idiot, but I was doing I wasn't doing it uh, rashly. I'm starting to see why you hate the word sea lining. Yeah, well, that's that's when I read this post, I immediately thought of sea lining because what Scott Alexander is saying in his post is that, you know, asking questions is a good thing. It helps people get to the truth, and you shouldn't slap down people who are trying to get to the truth, especially if they're students in the classroom. But in general, if someone's like trying to explore a subject that's a good thing don't don't try to stop that and sea lining is literally the or accusations of sea lining is literally the exact opposite of that it's uh if someone comes in asking questions it means they're trying to destroy your community and disrupt things and you should immediately shame them and or kick them out of the group instead of engaging them because there is no good faith to be had here at all and it's uh like the stark contrast between the two like jumped to my mind immediately as i was reading it and yeah. is again why I love Scott Alexander and dislike people who bring up sea lining as a defense for their stupid shit. So I I can kind of steel man sea lining. Hmm. Uh, I have been in conversations where, like, say that you're in a forum talking about some specific programming language, and somebody comes in there and is is clearly like asking questions in bad faith. This is. I feel like it needs to be a more like charged thing. Like say that you're 
in a geology forum and you're a geologist and some like flat earther comes in and just incessantly like every single thread of the forum is now like full of this person and they've got they're armed with their many questions that like they pulled from a bunch of websites for oh yeah well what about dating works yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh so and i've even seen um on feminist blogs you'll get some guy that's just there to fight Mm mm-hmm and they'll be like, well, did you know that, uh, I don't know, like stuff about. The thing is, like, I see that too. And I think the best way to um, to combat people who are arguing in bad faith is just to say, hey, you are not engaging anything directly. I think you're arguing in bad faith and I'm not going to continue doing this. It's not this whole, haha, you're a sea lion, ignore the troll thing, because... Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Uh, the the example that I kind of steelmanned is really more of a description of a troll, though. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe it, there's like some slight differences there, so I could see why you'd want a different uh, word for it. But like, I'm looking at the comic now, and I remember uh, the main thing that like pissed me off about this comic when I first saw it is it starts out with um it's actually got this like steampunk aesthetic which is kind of funny but like there's a man and a woman in some kind of like steam-powered cart uh and the sea lion pops up next to them and then it's like following them down the street then it's in front of their house then it's in the kitchen then it's in her bedroom and then it's the next morning um but this is stuff that happens on the internet yeah you can't I, i guess people can think of their forum as their house but the thing is, like, a forum is a public space, and unless I don't know, like a lot of people, what? yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't treat their their online places that way. They're like, get off my blog, and it's like you could just ban me, um, or I don't know, like if they post on Facebook something that people then are like, well, hold on, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, and they're like, ah, leave me alone, I wouldn't post this to be engaged on it. It's like you posted it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, it's like a platform meant for social engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like, they're not in your house. They're not following you around. If you're continuing to engage in the conversation and they're continuing to engage back, that means you're having a conversation. You could you could tell them, like, honestly, uh, I'm really exhausted and kind of depressed today, and I just don't have the spins to have this conversation with you right now, but here's some helpful links or something like that. Or you can do what I do and just ignore them because you don't or have you to reply to them because they're not them. literally in your house. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you can block them. I mean, like, yeah. So, like, that, that there's, like, this weird kind of, um, like, a, somebody trying to play victim when I don't think they have a case for that. I've literally been on a panel with someone at a writer's con and someone, I don't, I forget exactly what the topic was. It was some sort of cultural warfare topic. But someone on the panel, like, got all indignant and was like, you come into my house and you <laughs> tell me XX to my face. And I'm like, okay, I am also indignant with you because you are in the right on this topic. But this public gathering is not your house. No one came into your house and said anything to your face. We are at a panel in a hotel where people have been invited to come. Like, no one came to your house, bitch. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. I guess to bring it back, though. So, 
I forget if I actually said that the rationalist who got kicked out of that group was a later accused of sea lioning. I mean, I knew it was going there. It became pretty obvious, yeah. Yeah. But, um, so looking at that conversation, though, it really seems to me to be a failure of, well, first of all, kind of the thing we were talking about before, um, of understanding where both people are coming from. Mm -hmm. This is why I think people should do double crux. Uh, Double crux is, or um, there's like Gottman, Gottman Rappaport. All right. Uh, Unpause. So, um... It's kind of like the gottman Rappaport intervention, which is uh, actually like a couples therapy technique that I think I have mentioned before. I'll put a link to it, though. Uh, they're, both of these conversation styles are based on one person talks while the other person is silent and listens and maybe takes notes. When the first person is done, the second person has to reiterate what they said in their own words. So my understanding of how you're feeling is like these things you think that this is true uh and you're worried that this is going to happen is is that right and then you say yes or no and if it's no then they have to keep explaining it to you in different ways and you keep rephrasing it until you feel like you both understand the person's position and then you switch speaker and uh listener and this kind of this really should be normed for conflicts because like most of the time or at least in a lot of conflicts that i've witnessed lately it tends to be about people arguing about different things or misunderstanding each other's positions not even about the subject at hand and it's so frustrating watching that happen Mm. and that was very much what happened in this case um there was a culture clash there's the social justice people and there's the Socratic girling people. So the social justice people care about uh, not having people's feelings hurt, not making people uncomfortable, and uh, protecting people they perceive to be uh, disadvantaged minorities from people of a different group. And yeah, the rationalist that was posting the article was a cis white guy, so points against uh and How dare he be cis and white so, oh racism <laughs> is tight <laughs> yeah so the other thing that made it awkward um is that the the rationalist is autistic a bunch of people in this group are also autistic so like it's it's weird because it's like people have empathy for other people until they think that they're on the enemy's side and then suddenly like the empathy turns off and they're like where before they're like oh this person just uh sometimes phrases things strangely because they struggle with understanding like the way people, I don't know, uh, express their feelings. Uh, but it, the, when they're in the conflict, then it's just like, Oh, you're, you're just willfully misunderstanding me. And it's like, no, I literally want to know. Like, what, what does that mean? Yeah. The rationalist cares about having correct models. And so like the, I was, I was reading, yeah, the conversation and I, Nowhere did I see anywhere where the rationalists seemed to get mad to say, like, anything that just was meant as a retaliation. They just kept asking, like, I don't, like, I don't know where you got this from. Like, can you please explain why this, why your models are like this? And, like, and yeah, it's all like, perfectly hilarious. From, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it's all perfectly hilarious from inside our own little sanity bubble. But, like, it's just exasperating when 
you know, you're either thinking of times this has happened in, in your life or you've seen it happen and it's just, I, I just don't have any patience for it. That's why I'm just a big fan of, I never have any trouble. Again, maybe I haven't been on Facebook since like 2016. Um, I have an account to coordinate social events and I updated my status when I got married, but like, I don't think I've posted anything in three or four or five years. And, uh, it's, I, so I can't, I think I remember I was drawn into some arguments at some point. I, I know I was, you know, in the early 2000 teens, but like, I have no trouble now just like leaving a conversation. Like if they're left hanging, like, cool, fuck them. Like, and you know, it's not always a bad faith argument either. It's just like, sometimes I just don't have the time or patience for it. Even if it's a, you know, conversation that might be worth having, I just, I'm not the one to have it with. And, uh, I guess that's one of the main perks of discord is that other people can kind of pick things up where if it's like a, if it's a, a direct message, then like, okay, well I have to reply to this. Um, which I like getting direct messages on discord. All those are great. And if I got one, I hate it. I'd ignore it. Um, there's, yeah, th- th- there, there could be situations where like if someone is finding the time to just find you directly and bug you with stuff then it's like all right cool well i can reply or i can not but i i i'm i'm over the point now and i guess i don't know quite what it's like to say now i have to reply to this and it's like no you really really don't you can you can go you can just go about your day and just let this person be wrong and <laughs> I, someone's wrong I, on the internet i know there's a relevant xkcd and it came to my mind immediately after i said it but uh Yes, somehow that is annoying, but maybe it's just a general level of apathy that I have, where I'm just okay saying, "eh, fuck it." I think, but I think that might be actionable advice. That's why that's the reason I'm going on about it. Yeah, no, it's a reasonable response. I mean, you're just going to end up making yourself and other people upset, and not really advancing either of your goals. Um, I try to do a like tit for two tats strategy, kind of where I default to assuming good faith. Uh, I'll try to steel man someone's position and then like talk to them about it. If they just keep um, not engaging in the conversation in a way that feels productive, then I walk away after a few iterations of that. Like I've sometimes been able to have really great conversations with people where they do actually uh, come away at least like a little bit more humble about their idea. Uh, most often, that's not the case. Okay, so we, real quick, uh, don't shame and slap down people for asking questions to try to get at the truth. That's terrible and really hurts everything about society. Okay, on to listener feedback, Stephen. <laughs> no, that's a good, I think that's to be the, the ultimate takeaway. Um, yeah, I guess there's a quick one here from Supreme Switch on one of our uh, Reddit threads from one of our episodes. And I just thought I'd give a quick my my own quick answer on it and oh uh, yeah this is my guys yeah so i wanted to grab it because i felt like it was a quick one we don't have a lot of time for a large section here but uh basically they had said i have to pause the episode a bit where you realize the intuition pump of how much debt would i be willing to take on to be in universe where i have left where i have the thing i want and so the thing i want is to work a job with uh, to work a non-labor job so what in your opinions uh what trades slash field uh you know uh get a degree there's sorry slashes what trade field should i go in slash get a degree if i'm willing to take out a student loan and i my own quick answer for that is like i mean for for non-labor jobs it depends on what you like i didn't know i'd like programming i enjoyed it i recommend automate the boring stuff to anybody who wants to give it a shot um you can google google that it's a free book for python introduction 
Uh, there's W3 schools that just shows basically uh, a good crash course for several programming languages and tools. Um, if you like that sort of thing and you find fun with it, it's the kind of thing you can get a job in in six months if you go to boot camp and get hired. Um, not non-programming jobs, I mean, or excuse me, yeah, non-programming, non-labor jobs. I mean, there's there's a zillion, right? There's there's anything business related if you want to be a manager of literally anything. Um, I, I guess I don't have very specific advice outside of programming other than it's easy to get into, but it's not for everybody. I totally acknowledge that. Yeah. A lot of people, uh, when that came up, I think a lot of people did mention programming boot camps. It depends. First of all, I'm assuming by non-labor he means, or they mean non-physical labor, uh, because, you know, pretty much everything is labor if you're working for someone else. But, uh, like, I don't know, would working at a Starbucks count as physical labor? Probably because you're standing and manipulating objects. I'm assuming this is like, you know, sitting at a desk type job. And, how much debt you have to get into to get into one of those really depends on how much you want to make because you can get into a lot of entry-level jobs with no degree at all. Like, I know this is, what, almost 20 years ago that this happened to me, but I dropped out of college and then became uh, basically an office assistant and it paid shit, like nine fifty an hour. Uh, but... It was sitting at a desk, sometimes like getting up to file things and run copies and stuff, but it's not what one thinks of as a manual labor job. And from there, I worked my way up into accounting, which actually plays pretty darn decently. But if you're willing to take shit wages, there's a lot of things you can do uh, being um, 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 who's the person? Receptionist. A receptionist at, the, at a front desk, uh, being an office assistant, doing data entry, a lot of things like that. Uh, some low-level accounting work, like accounts payable stuff, generally doesn't require uh, schooling. So the amount of debt you have to take on could be very minimal to nothing. Um, but yeah, the, the more debt you take on, the more likely it is that you can jump right into something that pays better and is more fulfilling. And it depends on your proclivities too. Like, I mean, I, I did a boot camp that cost $16,000. Um, you know, but if you like people and you think you'd hate working behind a computer by yourself all day, you know, I mean, and you, and you want to eventually make money, but you're patient. That's another reason that I did a boot camp is that I have no fucking patience. Um, like, you know, be a teller at a bank, work your way up to management, work your way up to branch or to a uh, regional management, then you can, you know, do whatever you want. But I think it's, I, I guess, the question might be too vague, but yeah, Supreme Switch, feel free to hit, uh, you can hit me up on Reddit if you want, or, you know, join the Discord and, and tag me there. Um, career advice is not something I have a lot of comfort giving just in broad strokes, just because I don't know you or your situation, but, um, you know, like if you're, if you're patient and you like working with people, there's a zillion options. And if you're impatient and don't like working with people, there are still lots of options. I have uh, a lot of comfort. Uh, it, with giving people career advice and have had many jobs and changed careers a lot. And actually, I really wanted to do an episode on career hacking at some point. Uh, as far as what job you should have, well, it really depends on your definition of labor. I wasn't sure if you just mean like you don't want to work at FedEx, um, stacking boxes, or at Amazon. Uh, but what about working for DoorDash or Uber Eats. Uh, does that count as labor? There's uh, all kinds of side gigs that you could grab in the meantime or even like build into a career. Uh, stuff you could do from home, like uh, transcription, 
you need a, like a little bit of startup equipment for that, like a foot pedal um, to start and stop audio so you can type maximally fast. Uh, if you can learn something like medical transcription or legal transcription, then you can make more money. Uh, there's Amazon Mechanical Turk also has like little mini, uh, they call them hits. Uh, it's like a human something task. Things that still require humans that aren't fully automated yet, but they only take a few minutes and you make like a few cents per, but you could just keep doing that. Uh, you could, you know, go on Fiverr uh, and do like, I don't know, whatever skill you might have, like say you, you can do graphics design, even if you can only do one specific thing. What's I was trying to do it silently, but I realized I should have just said something. That pen clicking is insanely loud. It's it's way louder than your voice. Huh. Uh, are you clicking a pen like this next to the microphone? Uh, I'm clicking a pen. It's not near the microphone, but I guess the microphone loves oh. that sound. I'm going to just put the pen down so yeah, sorry. I don't just do that by uh, impulse. Should I just repeat the things no, you, I said? Uh, I think it I think it is, is totally going to around it. Yeah. Okay. I, just, I just figured that... Um, Going forward, it would have. I was trying. I don't know what I was thinking with waving my hand. Like that wouldn't be distracting. Sorry, now you're gonna have to cut no, this out. No, it's okay. Um, it's totally. I, I, I want to encourage anybody to pause at any point, <laughs> and like gather their thoughts or look something up or whatever. We have a better podcast that way once it's edited. Right on. There's um, uh, the website eighty thousand hours, uh, is effective altruist specific. But it, they have a lot of career advice. Uh, there's people that'll coach you. There's also the Less Wrong article, which I believe is called Optil, Optimal Income. It's old now. Um, it still works. It's about <laughs> if you're under 30, you can get a working visa to Australia. You can get a lot of basic jobs that pay quite well. Uh, I think the one that they like recommended in particular was working at a hotel where I imagine you could probably work at a hotel and just be the person at the front desk that's not labor but they give you I think about 30 40k annual income and they also give you food and a place to live because you're you could just stay in a hotel room and like that they actually have these packages for their employees and then it's not taxable so you can uh, send all of your money back to the US so it's a way that you could just like, you know, if you want to fuck off for a year and go bartend in Australia. <laughs> uh, Felix's brother did that. Teaching languages in other countries is another option too. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, there's also boot camps. So if you're just concerned about, if you're concerned about um, the money of going back and how much it would cost to go back and get another degree. First of all, I'd say if you have your heart set on something, fucking do it. Uh, we can get scholarships. There's grants out there. Um, even if you do end up going into debt, if you end up in a career that you love, you can pay it off, especially if you're smart. Uh, I went to a boot camp that was quite inexpensive. I managed to get a scholarship by just writing an essay about why I thought I would be good at the job. <laughs> Luckily, my house had recently burned down and was struck by lightning, so <laughs> I got noticed by the scholarship people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but yeah that's uh how i got into doing cancer research and i didn't have to go to med school but, but uh, yeah i want to do a whole episode on how you can how you can do that i have a lot of things to say about it and this is going on for a bit awesome. 
no that's great there's a lot of training to cover there I, I think that that's a good jumping off point for when we get around to an episode like that yeah um i i this isn't quite specific but i had to just throw out there that uh rudy hoffman emailed me after our last episode aired like a week later and he said that he had a, a handful of inquiries to get started with chronics paperwork yeah. awesome. and and somebody emailed us at the Bayesian conspiracy and uh said that they had signed up or they, they had at least submitted the inquiry for it and that made my day um yeah you know I, I i hope none of us have to get frozen but if we do there's a non-zero chance that we'll get to reunite in the future and i think that's just amazing yeah. that uh i don't know even saying it puts a smile on my face and uh the I, you know, I don't do a lot of stuff with positive externalities, so that made my day. So I had to share that right moment. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, there was this. You know, no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was going to go on to the next feedback, but did you want to say another thing about that one? No, I'm good. Uh, should I read this one from the great Nick? Yeah, did we want to cover that uh, one? Yeah, if we can do so in somewhat shortish time. Yeah, Um. it's, I think I can cover this quickly because it was just some advice uh the great nick was just writing to say that they heard the brief discussion at the end of our podcast about how rationality is too white uh slate star codex of course (laughs) has a great discussion of this and there's a link to black people are less likely which uh i'll stick in our notes as well that sounds like a truncated title but it's not which is kind of funny yeah (laughs) i mean that's kind of the point though because it could be that be the um, title of many articles. Uh, they, they pulled out the most relevant paragraph. For the record, here's a small sample of other communities where black people are strongly underrepresented. Oh, Runners. and before you start, uh, I looked it up just before we started this. Black people are either 12% of the U.S. population or 14%, depending on if you count mixed racial or not. Hmm. Runners, 3%. Bikers, 6%. Furries, 2%. <laughs> Wall Street senior management, 2%. Occupy Wall Street protesters, unknown but low. One source says 1.6%, but likely an underestimate. BDSM, unknown but low. Tea Party members, 1%. Tea Party. Uh, American Buddhists, mm-hmm. about 2%. Bird watchers, 4%. <laughs> Environmentally, environmentalists, Wikipedia contri- contributors, atheists, vegetarian activists, yoga enthusiasts, college baseball players, swimmers, fan fiction readers, Unitarian Universalist. They're uh, all in the low single-digit percentages. And then uh, they finished it by saying, you're probably aware of it, but it's something I also quote from when people complain about how white something is, which uh, I was aware of it, and I guess... I thought of it explicitly. This, this is not an answer to the problem of why black people are underrepresented. It just shows that they tend to be universally underrepresented. Uh uh, go ahead, Aniash. Oh, no, I, no. go ahead. You you go. Sorry. Okay. I pretty much finished my thought. Just, uh, oh, okay. Like... Yeah, I, I also thought of this when, uh, when we mentioned that. I didn't say anything because, like, we had covered this before, I believe, and I, there just isn't too much for me to add. Like, yes, black people are less likely to get involved in just about every sort of special interest thing that there is in the U.S., and that's just a thing and i'm not gonna blame black people for that uh nor am i going to blame white people for it and if people bring up well your your group is you know far more white than than the u.s average i'm like okay uh i'm sorry for being born white i wish i could help that but 
I'm not going to go through all the effort that it takes to be transracial just to please you, you know? I, I, don't... <laughs> I don't think that's what they're suggesting, but that's funny. Okay. <laughs> I wonder, like, so the second highest, the highest one on here is 6% bikers, which we would expect 14%, 13%-ish if it's going to be evenly distributed. Mm-hmm. The second highest is bird watchers, which I wonder <laughs> if it's overrepresented because, like, I I wonder if that, like, is does that mean that I wonder what percentage of bird watchers are any given group, but I think that four percent. I I I don't know anyone who watches birds. I mean, I I, I watch birds at the window, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but just um, like not professionally, just yeah. just uh casually. Yeah, I'm a casual amateur bird, bird watcher. watcher. <laughs> yeah. I look at a bird occasionally. <laughs> I can recognize a I can recognize a robin in a in a what's the one the. The national bird, bald eagle. So by bird, we mean the 60s English slang for chick, right? <laughs> uh, was it the 60s? I, I just remember Austin Powers says it, and he was from the 60s in that movie, right? Uh, but that, yeah, that was in the UK, maybe the... Anyway, this is this is a digression. Uh... <laughs> yes. No, but the point stands, and I think that, that makes a good point. So, like, certainly it sounds like I don't have to take the criticism, well, rationality is disproportionately black, and that's a problem with rationality. Because it seems to be a problem, if it's a problem, I mean, people can do whatever they want, but if, if there is something keeping people, keeping black people from being involved in whatever community they want, it doesn't seem like it's unique or even uh, unusually prevalent in the rationalist community. I think, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of activities, uh, I don't even know, like, uh, yeah, religions they have in here, whatever. A lot of stuff does tend to be overwhelmingly white and male, and there's probably a lot of really complicated factors that do have to do with having social privilege, probably, like, being wealthier, having more free time to pursue these activities, uh, discrimination, uh, whether, like, intentional or kind of unintentional, keeping people out. But, like, that's a big problem to solve, and uh, we had mentioned in the show where we talked about this, that like, you can kind of, you can kind of do outreach, but that's like really what you can do. I mean, you can't just go like kidnap a bunch of like <laughs> racially diverse people off the street and force them to join your cult. I don't, you're one of us. Or, I, I guess see, you, you can, but you shouldn't probably. Some of that is probably, you know, the, the privilege or resources as you were saying, but like there, there is no, um, there is no cost to getting into running or um or fan fiction reading or being a uni- unitarian universalist the cost is time i guess i don't I know mean, if you're poor and you're working two jobs and raising kids you probably don't have time to pick up a new hobby like bird watching or, or reading fan fiction like I, I my my general answer for this is that i think uh white people and maybe white males more than white females i don't know but white people in general are just weird and so <laughs> they they like find all these weird esoteric things that like oh that's super interesting i'm gonna go do this thing for the next year or two and uh i don't have a problem with that i think that's awesome and i specifically have some weird things that i'm into but i i don't think there's anything wrong with other people not being into that kind of thing you know yeah i and, think there's Oh, you weren't done. Well, no, I just, I see organizations sometimes really going very far to try to get their um, racial or whatever makeup closer to uh, representing the average of a nation. And it it seems to, like, 
it seems to distort things a lot more than they necessarily need to be distorted. Like, sometimes people just aren't interested in your thing. Or they've never heard of it. Yeah, like, I mean, Bikers, specifically, Bikers is the highest one on here, and Bikers is the most expensive one on here to do. Uh, well, except for Wall Street Senior Management, I it guess. depends if they're talking about... I, I don't know if they mean bicycles or motorcycles. I, I assume they mean, like, you know, bikers, like, Harleys, gangs, that kind of thing, because no one says bikers for uh, for bicycles. They say cyclists. Mm. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you clarified. I assumed cycling, but yeah, that, that is called cycling. They can both be expensive and time-consuming hobbies. Spoken right. as someone who currently has an electric bike, a fixed-gear bike, and a motorcycle that I'm repairing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But Bikers is the highest percentage on there, and Bikers is also the one that's going to cost you, at minimum, thousands of dollars to get into. Yeah. Um, unless you find a really cheap motorcycle that your friend's ex abandoned, and you know somebody who's really good at fixing motorcycles for cheap. Haha. <laughs> but <laughs> Speaking but of I time have... Congratulations. Yeah. No, I, I, have, I have networks, though, like that, so yeah. it's hard to... Yeah. Nice. Speaking of time constraints, talking about the uh, the dynamics of this because it's interesting, but I think that yeah, maybe we should wrap up. That's what I was going to get at. Is speaking of time consuming, this has been going on for a bit, and I've been at my desk for twelve hours and thirty minutes today because I didn't really take a lunch. So um, no, I mean it's yeah, it's part of the deal, but that's all right. Well, you should go stretch Uh, and eat some food. I'm gonna. I've been. I I didn't mention this is pre gaming, but I was talking with Inyash. I've been doing yoga the last few days. It's tight. I know what you're doing. Hell yeah. so everyone try yoga, you know, if it hurts, don't do it as hard. Like all the ones where they bend over and grab your feet, I just lean over, but I keep my back straight and stuff. It's great. Don't try yoga. Don't try yoga if you're a white oppressor though, because there's too many white people in it already. Right. Yeah. This isn't talking to uh, most of our listeners, probably. <laughs> I'm kidding. Everyone should do it. Who cares? I've been doing so, yoga too. Great. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to compare notes. I uh, um, could recommend a really easy, like relaxing one. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes and I'll send it to you. Awesome. Sounds good. And I, I think it's been a while since I think to a patron. I think it's probably been more than... I, we don't really keep track. But I'm thinking this one. And I get I decided before we recorded I was going to rethink them. And I saw the name and I'm stoked. I get to thank Sandcat, who's been a supporter for a long time. And uh, I see them on the Discord once in a while. And uh, every interaction I've had with them is awesome. So shout out to Sandcat. Thank you so much for your generous support of our podcast. And... Uh, Really, uh, I can since I've interacted with this person indirectly via the internet, I can say you're awesome too. So yeah, thank you, Sandcat. Um, you helped make this thing happen. Yes, we love you, Sandcat. And Sandcat actually can make it happen in a more literal sense because they're donating at the tier that says they can co-host. So Sandcat, if you want to co-host and you know talk about something you want to talk about or tell us how we're wrong about things or anything at all, like you know, let us know because you have earned the privilege. I reached out to him about that, and they're busy. But I think, it, well, yeah, this is a friendly ping. Keep this on your back burner. You're you're invited. So should we sea um, lion them until they get on the show? <laughs> so I hear you can co-host. Why haven't you done that yet? <laughs> can you give me any good reason why you haven't co-hosted yet? Good idea. Let's make it. Let's make them hate us. <laughs> um, that's this is that's how we get more. To our Patreon. <laughs> yep. All right. Well. On the note where I've clearly lost my mind and can no longer form articulate sentences, I think we should cross it off here. So, um, I think with that, that's going to be our episode. And uh, did we have our Lesson Post for next episode? Yes, we mentioned them. Cool. 
Do you want to mention them again? Yeah, sure, I can do that. Let me scroll back. The next ones are Science as Attire and Fake Causality. Huzzah. Two good ones. All right, people. Well, we'll see you again in a couple weeks, and everyone have fun and stay safe out there all the time. Stay Peace healthy. out, y'all. Drink lots of water, wash your hands. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Watch all the good TV. See ya. Bye.